Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing well as August winds down and it's Labor Day weekend coming up and back to school for those of us either teaching or attending or with kids. So uh, it's transition time. hope the summer has been good. It's been a pretty tough week this last week as I'm recording this and we'll launch this episode. Uh, the Amazon is burning. Not a good thing. And it turns out it seems pretty likely that these blazes were set by cattle ranchers. So cattle ranchers who have taken the cue from the tropical trunk Trump Bolsonaro that uh, the Amazon should be basically plowed and destroyed so that people can have hamburgers uh, have taken it upon themselves to burn the place down. So if there was ever another poster child example of why the meat industry is wicked and it is a good idea to switch to plant-based foods for your diet so that you do not support the meat and dairy industry, I can't find a better example. In fact, a very uh, famous restaurateur in New York City uh, whose restaurants have a lot of meat in them and who, uh, you know, uh, was, you know, a big meat eater himself for a long time. His name is uh, Eddie Huang. He, uh, he just said that he is going vegan, that he sees what's happening in the Amazon and he can't support it anymore. And he, he put a post on Instagram. You can Google it, Eddie Huang, uh, H-U-A-N-G. Uh, that's pretty deep because he said that, you know, while many people think that, you know, veganism and plant-based is just this kind of new age white hippie thing, that it actually has a a history of hundreds or thousands of years, and particularly in the Asian tradition. So anyway, that's a little side note, not really directly related to what I want to talk about today, but kind of just so much crazy stuff going on, feel I need to at least take a couple minutes to uh, talk about that. The next thing is here that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is uh, being treated more for more intensive pancreatic cancer. For those of you who don't know, pancreatic cancer is pretty much terminal. Nobody really survives it. So now we have the reality that even though we already have a right-wing extremist court with five to four, given that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans stole uh, Obama's third Supreme Court pick and gave it to Agent Orange, our white supremacist lunatic president, uh, now we have one of the real leaders of the the liberal court and the, the sane four-member uh, minority who is going to die within the next couple of years and might die uh, before 
the next election, in which case Trump in his first term would get three Supreme Court justices and then solidify a six to three right wing extremist majority that would probably mean that most of us who are adults would never live to see a liberal Supreme Court for the rest of our lives because of the damage that was being done. So this is incredibly distressing. We can only hope that Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be the warrior that she is and at least make it to the next term. Obviously, I hope she lives much longer, but pancreatic cancer being what it is, this is unlikely. And so, you know, if there was ever a time to send some positive energy in the direction of RBG, it is now. So this is obviously quite troubling more than just for the legacy of the Supreme Court, but because she's such a hero and it would just be such a horrible thing for her to to be replaced by the monster that we have in the White House. Uh, not on the bad news side, but uh, David Koch of the Koch brothers died this week. Uh, I don't want to necessarily, you know, celebrate death of anybody, but he was a horribly evil man, and I am definitely not shedding any tears that he has passed. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is because the evil that he did and that his brother and his foundations continue to do really has been in the kind of climate denial business. As early as the early 1990s, uh, the Koch brothers, and then ultimately through their kind of Americans for Prosperity fake right-wing AstroTurf group, have just been sowing climate denial and blocking climate legislation. Uh, on Patriot Act, Hassan Minaj's show, you can actually see uh, an episode they did on how the Koch brothers have been blocking uh, public transportation and getting America more strung out on fossil fuels and uh, cars and highways, etc. So the reason that this is also negative is even though he died, if, if his foundation would go away, that would be great. But all of the players in the Koch network have pledged to continue the evil and insanity that he helped to create. And so just when, you know, the Amazon is burning and climate change is accelerating, we have these, you know, ultra wealthy billionaire groups pledging to continue to do everything they can to uh, to get humanity on a, a trajectory for collapse. So that's where we at all in one week. And I'm not even talking about the continued insanity at the White House. So, uh, so I know this is not fun stuff to talk about, but this is where we are, and we gotta get our heads in the game here. And I want to come back to a theme here that it's kind of consistent in this podcast with that: the left, Democrats, Independents, Progressives, we must unite. We are the majority. Okay, we. Uh, can do this if we unite. A really another depressing statistic came out that in the three Midwest states that Trump won in 2016, that Obama had won both times, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, obviously Pennsylvania not being Midwest, but uh, you know part of that trifecta. And remember, Trump won these three states with a total of 77,000 votes. This is razor thin margins that he won by. In those three states, a combined uh, number of people voted for third-party candidates five times what people voted for third-party candidates in 2012. 
So the, the margins here, there's a lot of reasons Trump won. But my contention is, is that the left handed it to him. People voted for Jill Stein. People sat out. People wrote in candidates. And people did not take seriously the threat that Trump posed to this country. And and again, you know, the, the 45 percent of Americans who still support Trump after two plus years of insanity, they have the zombie virus. Right. These are people who are part of the GOP cult and they're pretty much unreachable. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm not saying that on the margins, some of them might you know, have an epiphany and come back to sanity. And I'm also not saying that when we have power, when the sane team regains power, we shouldn't help these people. But in terms of the election coming up, 40, 45% of the country has the zombie virus and is lost. They are part of the GOP cult. And so we have a pretty small margin here. We have 55 to 60% and we need to win big. And so the key thing here is to unite. You know, let's fight it out in the primaries. Obviously, it's insane that we're a year plus out from the election and we're already talking about it. Most sane advanced countries have an election cycle that's six to eight weeks, maybe 10. So they don't even we wouldn't even be talking about this election until, you know, August, September of next year. But this is the country we're in where it's bread and circuses and spectacle. And since we're in it, we got to deal with it. And the reality is we just got to unite. So, you know, whatever your candidate is, most of us are going to be disappointed because most of the candidates, you know, except one and then the second for the VP are not going to be in the mix. And let's, you know, mourn that when that happens and then get back in the game and let's all be prepared to fight this out, register voters, protect voting rights, donate to candidates, inform people and come out strong in 2020. So that's that's my intro to this episode here. And now let me pivot to the uh, the main topic. So the, the title here is the rhetorical traps that protect the status quo. And, and I have been studying American politics for about 20 years. I've been studying kind of rhetoric and media and how things are framed. And I have three key kind of elements that I want to point out here that really hamper our ability to move forward as a nation and to progress. And so after the break, I will uh, get right into that. Okay, so to the uh, first point here that I want to elaborate on is that stating facts can't be demonizing. Now, that's kind of a mouthful here. And so let me kind of outline this and, you know, describe what I'm trying to get at here. So I have had a number of instances in which I have interacted with the media recently. I've been asked to write 
couple articles and I've uh, done some interviews. And I state the simple fact that the right wing in America, the Republican Party, is the most far right extremist movement in the advanced world. So I state that and that is a fact. And how is that a fact? Let me just break this down. Is if you make a matrix with kind of all the key, let's say, top 10 political issues that a country is currently facing. So let's say climate change, income inequality, health care, women's rights, immigration, right? You go down the list and you put a kind of left-wing perspective and a right-wing perspective at the two poles. So for climate change, the left-wing perspective would be we need to do, you know, uh, serious uh, uh, policy interventions to you know to reduce our emissions in a quick fashion. The far right position would be climate change is a hoax. If it's on health care, the left wing position would be we need uh, universal health care and we need to control costs and we need to make sure everyone has access. And the right wing is, you know, uh, private insurance is the way. It's a commodity like everything else. It's not a right. If you have money, you get it. If you don't, too bad, right? So you kind of go down and you create this spectrum. And then you rate all the political parties uh, in, you know, in the major advanced countries. So you go to the UK and Germany and Canada and US and you put them all on that spectrum. The Republican Party in the US on that spectrum is the most far right. So it's an objective fact. And it is so far right that it's actually more far right than the neo-Nazi parties of Europe. So in Austria or Hungary or Poland, where you have these neo-Nazi parties, lo and behold, most of them believe in universal health care, universal education, gun control, and even climate change. Now, of course, they're not as, as, as progressive as the left-wing parties in those countries, but most right-wing parties in the world would be considered far left in the United States. The, the, the Republican Party is a complete outlier if you look at the advanced countries of the world. So you, if I point this out, that's a fact, okay? It's actually, you know, there, it's not up for dispute. It's not an opinion. It is a fact. I've had journalists say, oh, no, 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 you can't demonize the Republican Party, you know? And I say, I say, well, well, let's let's take a step back here. What did I say that was demonizing? Well, you said they're more far right than neo-Nazis and they're the most far right party in the world. I said, but that's a fact. It's not an opinion. And so facts can't be demonizing. Let's take an extreme example. If there's a criminal who did horrible things, and I say, you know, person X murdered all these people and tortured them and did these horrible things to them, and someone says, you can't demonize him. That would be weird, right? Because I'd be like, I'm just describing the horrible things that person did. I'm not demonizing him. That person was a demon. <laughs> that person did demonic things, and I'm just describing them. And the same thing is true for the Republican Party and the right wing in the United States, is that they are so extreme and they hide behind the let's blame people who call us out for our extremism and shift and distract, right? So in our culture right now, if you state the facts of how crazy the right wing is, 
that they try to turn the tables on you and point out that you're being hyperbolic, you're being extremist, you're demonizing the other side. And of course, we don't want to demonize the other side and break these kind of civil codes of discourse that we have in our kind of media culture. But that is has it exactly backwards, right? In our culture, we go after the messenger and not the perpetrator, right? And that makes no sense ethically or substantively, right? So if, obviously, if somebody is lying or stating misinformation about someone, that is demonizing. But if you're just outlining facts about a political party, a political movement, a leader, a group, you know, a dark money group like Americans for Prosperity, and it turns out that those people and those organizations are doing horrible things, the correct response should be, wow, I never thought of it that way. You're right. They're doing really crazy things. We should really focus on that. It should not be, you're demonizing them. How dare you? Right? So we really need to stop this. Right? We really, really need to stop blaming the messenger. And again, in this culture of spectacle and false uh, civility and false equivalence, these monstrous actions get obscured because so many people are yelling at the people who are pointing them out. And again, that is exactly backwards and is really protects the status quo. Because if we can't focus on the evil actions that people are doing, we're never going to make progress. So after the break, I'll come back with point number two. Okay, so the second point I've mentioned in you know some earlier episodes, but I think it's worth kind of elaborating on some more, which is the issue of false equivalence. I mean, this one is such a pet peeve of mine. It really kind of drives me crazy. And if I get to live in a society that where we've gotten rid of false equivalence one day, that will be make me very happy. And so, how does this false equivalence play out? So. If there are people who accept the comments that I made earlier about how extreme the Republican Party is and how extreme the right wing is, right? So they don't, you know, they don't get mad that 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 characterization, they accept that. The default for many of these people is, yeah, but both sides have their extremists. Both sides have their crazy people. Yeah, Republicans are crazy, but you know, let's just we want to be moderate and in the middle and let's just, you know, let's just make sure we don't uh, empower extremists on both sides. And my response to that, without fail, is the left wing does not have the same level of extremists. And particularly, the Democratic Party is not an extremist party. And they often push back on that. And so my, my answer always is, is show me. Show me the trail. So when people talk about the far left extremists, I say, show me the things the Democratic Party has done that count as extremist. 
legislation they have passed, executive orders they have passed, policies they have passed, right? And then it's crickets. Because if you look at, you know, Obama's legacy, if you look at the things that Democratic, you know, state governments are doing, if you really actually look at actual policies, it's pretty sensible stuff. And all that, it's both sides do it rhetoric falls away. And the key element here is to focus on actions, not words. Only actions matter. So of course, in the kind of the you know the 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 sphere of media and Twitter and you know all kinds of social media madness, you can pick out you know crazy comments from people on the left, but that's not stuff they actually do, right? And those aren't from actual Democratic politicians enacting laws. Now, of course, I want to make the caveat here that where words matter is when it's the president's, right? So the president of the United States. What he or she says matters a lot, and that's why Trump, you know, encouraging white supremacists and racists and empowering them is incredibly damaging, and he has blood on his hands, and his supporters have blood on their their hands because they've been encouraging this wave of right-wing violence. But putting aside the president, for anyone outside of, you know, someone with that type of bully pulpit, it's really actions that matter, right? And so the right wing and the protectors of the status quo, they love the distraction culture. They love what focuses on the latest outrage while they systematically plunder the nation and the planet. So just again, to put this kind of false equivalence to rest, let's look at the record of the past 20 years. The presidents of the past 20 years Bush for eight years, Obama for eight years, and then uh, Trump for the last two plus. So a little shy of 20 years. So what did Bush do? Actions he did. He spent $5 trillion on the Iraq and Afghanistan wars that devastated the Middle East, killed hundreds of thousands of people. Remember, these wars were sold to us as things that were going to pay for themselves. right? He At the same time, he did massive tax cuts for the rich. And all of this was on the credit card, right? So all this fiscal discipline that Republicans talk about and caring about deficits, he put trillions upon trillions on the credit card. In fact, most of the national debt is from Bush's policies. What else did he do? They tortured people systematically around the world. They demonized gays and used that as their pretty much the the, the central focus of their 2004 campaign. And they scared the country with the terror alert warnings and created this tremendous culture of fear that we're still living with today. Trump's list of crimes are too long to outline, but we have everything from kids in cages to gutting the Endangered Species Act to climate change as a hoax, etc., etc. So these, the damages of the Trump and Bush administrations are going to haunt us for decades. So these are the actual actions they did. The record is clear. These are facts. So what did Obama do? Well, he gave health care to millions of people. He reigned in the financial industry. He fought climate change. He scaled back the wars. He raised taxes slightly on the rich to try to bring us back into budget uh, uh, balance. And in fact, the budget deficit was shrinking as he left office. Of course, he inherited massive budget deficits from from Bush and uh, those tax cuts and the wars, so he, you know, he, he can't produce miracles, but he did quite a lot. Was Obama perfect? 
Of course not, right? But any side-by-side comparison of Obama's actions and Bush and Trump's actions just destroys any notion of equivalence between the two parties. Look at the platforms. Look at the political platform of the Republican Party in 2016 and the the Democratic Party in 2016. Just look at those side by side and tell me if there's, you know, uh, extremists on both sides. The Democratic Party, for all its faults, for all its, you know, imperfections, is generally sane, generally on the side of the public interest, and is, you know, trying to make a good faith effort to make society better. The Republican Party is full of lies, deceit, voter suppression, racism, and again, like I said, it's essentially a white grievance cult in the service of plutocracy. So we really, really need to drop the false equivalence. All it does is protect the status quo, which at this point is heavily tilted to the right-wing extremists. So after the break, I'll come back with my third and final point. I said you work iniquity to achieve vanity. But the goodness of Jaja, I pure it forever. So if you wanna be free, you're a small app. Okay, so my third part here is the confusing the far left with Democrats. I hear this all the time. This is a really effective bait and switch by the right wing. And unfortunately, people who are well-intentioned fall into this, right? And this is actually a, a kind of part of the false equivalence racket, right? And so the first thing I just want to state is the far left on Twitter is not the Democratic Party. So there are plenty of crazy people on the far left. Don't get me wrong here. Uh, I, I know there are. I know some of them personally. And I, I absolutely would be scared if these people were in power. But they're not. They are not in power. In fact, if anything, the Democratic Party is pretty restrained and, and, and not bold enough. You know, we, uh, me and others are really working to make the Democratic Party... Uh, significantly more to the left. But the key point here is that all the crazies on the far left, on Twitter and social media and commentary, those people do not have power in the Democratic Party. Again, look at the actions of the Democratic Party. Look at what they actually do. It does not reflect the far left, right? A good example of this is the first bill that was passed by the new House majority under Nancy Pelosi was a a Voting Rights Protection Act. It was expanding voting rights, same-day registration, paper trails. It wanted to make uh, Election Day a national holiday. It wanted to restore parts of the Voting Rights Act that that John Roberts' court had gutted. It was a very sensible, pro-democratic, you know, bill. That was the first bill they did. They want universal background checks for guns to help reduce gun violence. These are the type of things the Democratic Party is actually doing, uh, but they keep getting labeled as far left when they're not. 
right? The far left, I really do have a lot of issues with. I think they're generally well-intentioned, and I think uh, many of their issues are would probably, at least pieces of them, would benefit benefit the country. But of course, there's all kinds of people on the far left that are pretty extreme. The key thing is they don't have power, right? The Democratic Party, for lack of a better term, is pretty overall moderate. And again, I want to you know remind you of the point I made earlier, which is that conservative parties in other parts of the world are farther to the left than the Democratic Party in the United States. So that just goes to show how ultimately restrained the Democratic Party is. And, and you know, there's, there's historical reasons for this, uh, having to do with the Democrats' history of used to being, you know, the segregationist party of the South, and how when they passed the Voting Rights Act and the, and the Civil Rights Act in the 60s, the kind of sorting that went in. It also comes from the fact that America has very conservative, small-c conservative political institutions that really, really restrain more uh, majoritarian impulses, and this is you know both in the Electoral College and the Senate, and also because America, with its kind of frontier mythology, has been a lot more of a laissez-faire capitalist country than 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 our counterparts, you know, in Europe and other parts of the world. But the key point here is when people talk about the far left, make it very clear that they're not talking about the Democratic Party; that those are two distinct things. Whereas the far right and the Republican Party are one and the same. Literally, the far right extremists are leading the Republican Party. Donald Trump is a far right extremist. His immigration person, Stephen Miller, is a far right extremist. Mike Pompeo and John Bolton are far right extremists. Mitch McConnell is a far right extremist. So the extremists are running the Republican Party but they're not running the Democratic Party. And this is an incredibly important point because it, it, it's part of the false equivalence racket that really holds us back. So when I get back after the break here, I'll come with uh, the antidotes for today. Yes, I've been accused. Wrongly accused now. But through the powers of the most Okay, so on to the antidotes for today. Number one here, again, focus on actions and not what people say. So turn attention away from the outrage spectacle, the Twitter, the social media. All that is part of the distraction machine that enables the status quo. So we need to shift the conversation to people's actions, policies, the things they're doing not all the noise and the bread and circuses. Point two here, continually point out that the GOP is the most far-right extremist party in the modern world, right? Again, most conservative parties in other countries 
would be considered far left and perhaps socialist by U.S. standards. That's how crazy the GOP is. And by getting caught in this kind of let's meet in the middle madness, we just keep tilting the conversation to the right. We want to point out how far right the GOP is. And again, this isn't opinion. This is fact. Finally, uh, point out that the far left is not the Democratic Party. Right. So, yes, there's lots of crazy stuff on the far left. Those are not the people who have the power. Focus on the Democratic Party. And in fact, the Democratic Party, if anything, is pretty, uh, you know, centrist and moderate, uh, for lack of a better term. And point out the things the Democratic Party is doing. The H.R. 1, the voting protections, uh, Green New Deal. Right. Point out what the Democratic Party actually stands for and differentiate it from the, the far left noise machine. And, you know, again, the, the overall theme here is that this is a generational long-term struggle we're in. You know, so we must not burn out. So do what you can to keep recharging yourself and be prepared to stay in this game for the rest of your life because that's how long it's going to take to get America fully on board with sane, progressive, public interest types of policies. So I know this episode has been a little on the heavy side, especially for the end of summer, but that's where we're at, and it's kind of led by a lot of the recent events, and uh, we'll just have to keep it going. So with that, everybody, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, the rest of the summer, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Stitcher, rate it, share it with your family, friends, and colleagues, and with that, everyone, be well, take care. Thank you.